This is the Frog for Life podcast. I'm your host, Rob Berline. From the first time we came here, we knew that it was kind of like a family-oriented school. They were really good about keeping us together, and we had relatively small class sizes, and it just felt a lot more, like I said, a lot more family-oriented. That is the voice of Carson Huey Yu. Carson is the youngest student ever to earn his bachelor's degree from TCU, doing so at the age of 14 in 2017. Carson and his younger brother Cannon, who is currently a sophomore at TCU, will tell you about their journey to TCU and some of their ventures away from campus. And we're here with Carson and Cannon QEU. They are some of the youngest students we've ever had at TCU. And guys, if you could tell us a little bit about the path you took to get to TCU and kind of your academic career overall. When Carson had been here when he was getting his bachelor's degree, I was around. And so once it came time for me to go to college, I just picked TCU because I felt like that was the best place to be. Mm-hmm. And Carson, how did you, how'd you decide to come to TCU since you were the first one to mm-hmm. make this foray at the age of what, was it 10, 11? <laughs> so I was actually accepted at 10, and then I had sort of a summer birthday, so I actually started going here at 11. Mm-hmm. And the way that we kind of found TCU was just looking for good schools in the area. And I knew that I wanted to do physics, so we were looking at really good physics programs. And between uh, Dr. Ripby's help and the help of the physics department, we just kind of settled on TCU as being the best fit. Having young children enroll in college is not a decision that is made lightly or without thought. Here is Carson and Cannon's mother, Claretta, on the steps that led up to Carson first coming to TCU. Well, oddly enough, I never looked at him and said, oh, he's a genius. That never happened. My goal was to take an extra bedroom, get everything out of there, and set it up like a kindergarten classroom. I wanted him to enter that room and feel happy and have everything right, you know, at his fingertips where he could learn anything he wanted to learn. And so once I started homeschooling him, he was so excited about the alphabets and again we're talking oh he was so young he was probably in pull-ups or what he was really young and um, so every morning we had a routine you know we wake up eat breakfast and then we'd head upstairs and um, and he just wanted to start with math and reading we had the curriculum all set But he was actually the one trying to get me moving up early. And I said, well, you know, you can watch, you know, Barney if you want. He goes, you know, we'll watch it later because I had it recorded on VHS. And so so he was motivated. And yes, he caught on really quickly. And he was my first born. So I never thought, oh, he's a genius. I just thought, okay, I can really teach him because he's so passionate about learning. And so I think that gave me the fuel to even want to do it more because he was pulling me, you know. I never pushed or, you know, forced him. He would always pull me because he's like, teach me this, teach me that. And so uh, to answer your question, there was never a time where I thought, oh, he's so smart, he's a genius. I never did that. It was Mm -hmm. just a normal routine for us. I was homeschooling him, teaching him. There was never a goal to where I said, oh, by this date you have to learn that or this. So it Mm -hmm. worked out where he just um, exceeded all of my expectations, which, again, they weren't very huge at the time because Mm -hmm. he was a baby. Mm -hmm. And so did you have to go to – other teachers and schools as you were homeschooling him to figure out 
what you should do as you progress past just the alphabet and as you just learn, how did you learn what to teach them next? Well, we spent a lot of time at the library and uh, we went to some, uh, we went to an enrichment center where they did math a little bit and, um, and that was pretty much it. Yeah, so by the age of five, um, I knew that he needed something more than just homeschooling because he was so advanced by the age of five. And so I started looking for schools for him. And um, I went to the public school in the city that we were living in, and they were like, oh, no, he's too advanced. We can't, we cannot accommodate him in such a high-grade level. And then I searched the entire Metroplex area, and then I found... Um, accommodated Learning Academy in Grapevine, and she said, Melissa McGowan, she said, we'll take him. Once they tested him, she's like, oh yeah, we'll take him. And so um, I looked at the classroom size. It was very small, sweet little private Christian school, and I felt that he was safe there. So um, that was the beginning of him going to school. And as a parent, Aside from the academic things, you know, what goes into the decision to put your children in that more advanced environment? I was never torn with it because um, both of my boys were always so focused. I didn't worry about them, you know, being traumatized or anything like that because they had a love for learning. So um, once they said, can we do this, you know, can we go to school, a real school, then of course... I said, okay, but we have to find the right school for you. So it was never a dilemma about, oh, should I, should I not? Because every child is different. And so as their parent, you have to know your child and know what's best for them because everyone is different. (laughs) While Cloretta fully supported her boy's desire to expand their education, when it came to college, finding a university that would be able to provide the right support system is important. Dr. Magnus Rippey, Senior Associate Dean of the Department of Physics and Astronomy, tells what his thoughts were when he was first approached about Carson attending TCU at the age of 10. Um, Well, I had a 10-year-old come into my office claiming that he was graduating high school and wanted to be a quantum physicist. And uh, that was uh, the first unique experience that I've had with with, uh, these boys. And um, um, I I had no clue what I was going to do. Really, I didn't know how to deal with that situation to begin with. It never happened to me, so I had to ad-lib a lot. I just had to figure it out on as we went along. So did you believe that this was possible at no, first? Or no, 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 no. <laughs> I, I wasn't sure. We just got an email, and Claretta wrote an email, and and uh, she came over with Carson, and so I asked him some questions and about physics and what he wanted to do, and I think he convinced me by just the way he was as a person. He wasn't a normal whatever normal is, but it wasn't a 10-year-old that I met before in the way he behaved and the way he responded. Mm-hmm. And so I, I realized that this was a really, really intelligent young man. I didn't know if he was going to be able to make it in college the next fall, but mm-hmm. so we, we, we just went with it. We said, well, he's graduating high school, so he's got to go to college. So what would be a better place than TCU? And so did you have to take maybe a different role in his admission process than you would maybe anybody else that applied to college? Or how did, how did that work? Yeah, so typically if we have a parent visit with a, 
with a student that might be interested in physics, we, we talk to them and we try to advise them as to what courses to take and try to give them a heads up what could be difficult and what would what they need to prepare for over the summer, let's say, before the first semester. With Carson, we had to pretty much convince the rest of the university that this could actually be done. Mm-hmm. And we had to. We met with admissions, and we went met with Campus Life, and we we tried to uh, smooth the path as much as we we could in terms of preparing everyone, professors and staff that would be involved. That uh, this is going to be maybe a challenge at times for all of us. And we formed a team that I I just named it Team Carson, <laughs> uh, with all the people that would be involved. So they. And we tried to inform uh, each other of, of what the plan was so that would, would be successful. And on one of our previous podcasts, we had Sahoon Hong, who was a graduated at 16 um, about 10 years ago. Was he used as an example of, hey, young kids can come in and have success? Yeah, it was mentioned. There was more anecdotal than anything else. It more, I think we had a young musician that was here, didn't we? Yes, we did, and that went well. And that's a different kind of environment in mm-hmm. the School of Music. And maybe science and math is less common that you have young protégés mm-hmm. that come. And musical protégés are quite often quite young. Mm-hmm. So Carson was eventually accepted to TCU. His study of choice for a 10-year-old? Quantum mechanics. I would say I was always really interested in science, just kind of learning how things work. So then I knew physics when I got into college, and eventually after kind of surveying all the different types of physics, I knew that I wanted to do quantum physics, just knowing that it was really interesting. Quantum mechanics or quantum physics, just kind of depending on how you want to put it, is really the study of physics at a very small scale. So you deal with molecular atomic physics, and then you go even smaller Weird things start to happen once you get down to that scale that you wouldn't see in classical physics. So just kind of, it's really interesting to see what you can do with that, I think. And what have you done with that in your research and kind of what is your hope to take that to? So over my sort of undergraduate and graduate career, I guess, I've had two different research projects that I've worked on. One is an undergraduate and one is sort of the graduate research project that I'm working on now. So if you have, for example, if you have two different, they can be atoms, molecules, just two different bodies that are Mm -hmm. orbiting each other Mm -hmm. on a small subatomic scale, then what can happen sometimes is that they'll come close together and interact with each other for a short period of time before breaking apart and flying away again. Mm -hmm. So we were looking at sort of the energies of those different interactions and specifically applying it to an old research problem that actually has not been... Uh, fully completed and sort of applied our research and those concepts to that problem. And Cannon, was it a lot easier for you to do once you saw your brother do it at such a young age? I would say that it was definitely easier to be around TCU as an undergraduate since I had been around with Carson. I had been around for four years or so before actually starting taking classes here. So I would say just to get my way around, that was, that was much easier. I really like being able to come around and actually learn stuff without specifically being in a restricted environment, like just kind of going around and learning sort of what Carson was able to teach me and that kind of thing. And Kanan, are you also, talk about what your kind of your interests are and uh, what you're looking to study. Is it it's physics as well, or I heard you want to be an astronaut? Yes. So since I want to be an astronaut, I'm double majoring in physics and astronomy and also engineering. So I've really found like physics 
just like Carson, interesting for a long time. So I just figured that was what I wanted to do as well. Word about Carson and Cannon's adeptness for physics got out to the rest of the country. The two were approached earlier this year about being on the popular TV show Mythbusters Jr. And this summer, they went out to California to film the series. So, I believe it was last summer, Dr. Ripby got an email from Beyond Productions, and there was a flyer saying, Beyond Productions is doing a science-based show. You should audition. We did some Skype interviews, and eventually we found out that it was going to be Mythbusters Jr., which that was really exciting because we've been watching Mythbusters for a long time. And so eventually they told us that we could do the show, and we went out this summer and uh, did it. So while Canon is uh, doing all of sort of the on-screen shooting, I'm doing behind-the-scenes stuff, so sort of going through and running the numbers on each of the myths to kind of see how plausible it would be. Um, for example, on, well, I can't really give any details mm-hmm, away, mm-hmm. but I will say that there were a few different times where um, I would have to look at maybe the science of something or maybe do research to figure out sort of the most efficient way to tackle the myth. And how long does it take you to, once they give you the myth, to figure out, okay, how we're going to test this and then canon, how you're going to go about demonstrating that and... I mean, I can imagine that some of these problems could take a little bit of time. So as far as shooting constraints were concerned, because we had the summer to do 10 episodes. So each episode was kind of limited to an average of five days per shoot. So we would have like, it wouldn't be just five days and one episode. It might be Monday, Tuesday, working on one episode, switch to another for Wednesday, Thursday, and then go back on Friday or something like that. Mm -hmm. But everyone was really good about keeping the schedule together. So it made it really nice and smooth when everything just kind of came together. And what did you guys learn about TV that just watching it afar, you said, I had no idea how any of this stuff works. Kind of learned that being in front of a camera, I didn't realize how much, I guess the word would be pressure is on you. Mm -hmm. Like everybody's looking at you and then all of a sudden they're like, action, and you go, "Ah." (laughs) So so, um, I didn't really realize the difficulty of it when you're just sitting in front of a TV and watching it, but I thought it was really interesting to actually be on a TV show and film everything. Your role is different than if you're watching, you know, a comedy on TV where it's, this is your line and things like that. So how did that work in terms of what they told you to say, or were you allowed to just kind of go through? So it was, it was definitely similar. Like we'd have a script outline sort of, but they let us explain it in our own words. Like they would say, say it in your own words, but they'd give us an outline of sort of what to say and what to do for each scene. And then Carson... So you're doing all the background work on it, and you're, you're figuring out, is this problem plausible? And, and then you have to turn it in. Are the producers relying on you to provide them all the science, or how many different people were you working with to help debunk or prove the myth? So as far as I know, there was another engineer that was working on sort of similar stuff that I was. I was on set. He was sort of offset. So the producers were also good about having contacts, like if there was maybe a weird myth that neither of us really knew how to accomplish or tackle, I guess. They would kind of outsource someone to kind of say, like, if there was maybe an explosion myth or something, then they would have to maybe contact someone else to kind of get safety people or explosion technicians or whatever that they needed there. But just for general science or numbers, that's kind of where I worked. And then, so once you figure everything out, you just give it to the producers and you watch Canon do his thing and you're just, you get to kind of hang out while 
he's doing the acting. Right. So depending on which myth, that, because there's six uh, six total co-hosts. Okay. So depending on whether he was on sort of the team that I was working with, sometimes I would have maybe two different sort of tasks to work on within the week, depending on how things were set up. And is this something that now that you've done TV, is this something you think, hey, I'd like to do this again? Or is this like, hey, that was really, really a lot of work? I think it would be fun to do again. I, I believe if the show is successful, then we we might get a season two or maybe even seasons after that. So oh, wow. if, if it does well, I would love to do it again. Right. <laughs> and I know you got to do some travel. I believe you were in New York City this past weekend to do some publicity for the show. Is that correct? As far as the trip back to New York, we went to Maker Fair, which is kind of an engineering engineering science fair for just generally young scientists who are looking to get into STEM. Canon and the rest of the co-hosts had a panel there where they were just kind of taking questions about the show and giving it some publicity. And also we were signing autographs, so that was yes, fun. Yes, you guys. Wow. <laughs> With all the attention Carson and Canon have received, it is their mother Claretta who is balancing the big picture to make sure they don't overcommit. Well, again, TCU has been wonderful, and I could not have done any of this without Dr. Ritby here because um, from day one, when I sent the email to TCU and told them about Carson, once we got here, I had a support system that I could not have ever imagined that I would have. And you know how they say it takes a village? Well, this is our village. And um, so when the media comes in, and, and sometimes we have this rush of media, and they everybody's pulling and they want them, we have turned down many, many requests. And so we, you know, Dr. Ritby and I will meet and with other entities on the university, and we decide oh, no, that wouldn't work, or this one looks interesting, uh, but maybe no, 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 and yes. See, and, and so, yeah, we're very careful about what they're exposed to because at the end of the day, they are still children, mm-hmm. and we don't want them to be, um, I guess, harmed in any way. Mm-hmm. So I think we need to say thank you to TCU Marketing and Communication as well. Absolutely. Um, given So we, we work with them very closely, and their experience has been uh, very important. And then back to some TCU things. And Carson, now you're now that we're back in school, you're in grad school. Mm-hmm. So was that different than undergrad for you? And, and kind of what are you looking to do after you finish grad school? I'm going to answer that by saying it's similar but different. You still have um, a lot of classes that you take, and I was involved in research as an undergrad as well, so the whole research jump wasn't really anything especially new, whereas uh, switching between research projects and then kind of switching the emphasis from classes to research, where you're working on your graduate thesis and eventually kind of transferring to the PhD program. So that was a little bit different, but... Overall, it's been kind of a smooth transition, I would say. And are most of your classes, probably as an undergrad, they were during the day. And are some of your, most of your master's classes at night, or are they no, still, same time? No, still during the day. I have okay. less classes, though. Okay. So right now I'm taking uh, two classes, whereas I might have had maybe four or five as an undergraduate. Mm-hmm. So all of the classes, rather all the time that I'm not taking classes is kind of being devoted to research. Okay. And then is the plan to pursue a PhD after grad school? Um. Definitely a PhD, and I'm going to do it here because um, I'm actually working on sort of master's and PhD at the same time from the program here. And what will the PhD be in? Still physics. Still physics. Still quantum physics, yes. Wow. And Canon, you're a, you're a sophomore, correct? So yes. you're scheduled to graduate in 2020? 
2021? Um, I believe I'm scheduled to graduate in 2021. Okay. You guys have really leaned on him to really help you during this transition. So how hard is it for you guys to separate that he's my professor from he's kind of my, you know, other family member on campus? That has to be a little bit of a difficult thing at times. I would say that it's not really ever a problem. He's he's a family in the sense that he'll help us whenever we have a question, not not just about our classes, but I mean anything really. So I don't really think there's a problem between, you know, balancing surrogate family and uh, also being a professor. I've taken classes with him and I may have failed a test or two <laughs> in the past, but kind of helping me bounce back from that and um, being good about being both a teacher and a mentor in both of those ways. And what differences do you see as you mentor each of them in terms of how do they each respond to your advice and different things? Well, first of all, you have to think Carson was 10 when I first met him. He's now 16. That's quite a substantial part of his life. So he has been growing up on campus and, and Canon has as well. So I've seen them grow up from children to young men or young man and young boy I'm not sure Um, and so that presented new challenges all the time as they grew older and now if Carson's going to start driving it's going to be crazy so it's a moving target right to have to adjust to figure out what works uh, with them at a given time and how much pressure can I put on them in terms of how they need to perform or how much do I need to pull back you're there professor and you're also their mentor that played a huge role in them even being able to come on campus how do you balance that role of he's got to make the grade same as everybody else as opposed to i really want to help this kid get through and succeed and all that uh well as carson said he's done poorly in some of my classes in terms of testing and so forth but i realized i always have to reset once as i do for myself if i have something that um, is a negative experience i try to reset and find myself again to know that i can move forward and not let it take me down and i try to instill that in them as well if they fail at an exam it's not that you drop the course and drop your dream of being an astronaut or whatever but you just have to reset and and start over and try again. They're young. They have plenty of time to fail and and complete courses or whatever they need to do. And the main thing is to keep your eye on your goal and keep working towards that. And finally, uh, Clara, can you shed some insight maybe into a story that highlights that these two are just normal teenagers and they're not just academic robots? (laughs) Well, look at them, what they're doing now. They're spinning around on your stools. <laughs> um, okay. Um, they love Star Wars. Uh, yeah, they're nerds, but they are normal, high-functioning nerds. Uh, they like uh, Minecraft. Um, they have lightsabers at home, and I can hear the click, 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 and then I hear someone scream, ah, right? And so they have the battles with lightsabers. Um they have these weird go-kart thingies where they ride down the street and uh, flip over and, uh, you know, they get bruised and scarred up like normal kids. They're just boys, mm-hmm. and they like to wrestle. Uh, they love their dog, Klaus. Um, yeah, and so they, they're just normal kids. You just turned 16. 
Have you looked into getting your driver's license, taking a driver's test? So actually, yes, we're kind of um, in the middle of getting that together, starting taking driving courses, that kind of thing. And is a driving manual more difficult to study than uh, physics books? I haven't started yet. I'm hoping not, but <laughs> we'll see what the future has in store. Um, so what has been your guys' favorite thing about coming to TCU? From the first time we came here, we knew that it was kind of like a family-oriented school. They were really good about keeping us together, and we had relatively small class sizes, and it just felt a lot more, like I said, a lot more family-oriented. Whereas with other colleges, I guess around the area where we visited, it wasn't quite that feel, I would say. Mm -hmm. And also the physics department here is relatively small. So we know most of the professors and I mean, Dr. Rippey is really good about, you know, helping us if we have a class question or something like that. And how much do you lean on each other for support? I mean, given that you're brothers, you're the, you know, two that are in this unique situation. And Well, I don't think I can really help Carson much, but also <laughs> whenever I have a question, I can also ask Carson. So that's good. <laughs> And then for me, just kind of having family around between uh, my mom and my brother and even family that's not really family, like Dr. Ritby, the rest of the physics departments, mm -hmm. everyone. Thank you to KTCU, co-manager Jeff Craig, and Jake Hook for their help in editing of this episode. If you or a friend or family member would like to share your story of your life since graduation, please contact us on social media or leave us a comment on our SoundCloud channel. We look forward to sharing the next story of how horned frogs are changing the world.